Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I want to ask you, um, as you get settled for a minute, often when we sing that song, Hosanna, the line that sticks out to me, um, and it has for, for several years now, is I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. And then we, we come and we're singing about the living hope, the Jesus who is alive, the one who's taken away that chasm between God and man if we come through the work of Jesus. And so what I want to ask you to do with me, I'm going to pray out loud, but I want to ask you just if everybody can just um, settle for just a minute. And with me, um, I want to pray for the next generation, for our children and for our students um, here at the Vine and and who will come here. And I want to specifically pray um, for them this morning. So will you join me um, in that? Lord Jesus, I start by saying, give us eyes to see a generation rising up to take the place of those who've gone before them. Lord, we can become so discouraged at times looking at the world around us, looking at things that the polarization of things within our country and just all those different things going on. But Lord, remind us this morning that you are a sovereign God who has set your love on your people. And Lord, give us eyes to see faith to believe that you are raising up a generation. And Lord, I look around this room. I look at children and students and young people who are growing up or have grown up in this church. And Lord, I, along with Pastor John and Pastor Mark and our elders, Lord, and and those of us gathered here today, Lord, we cry out for them. And Lord, we ask this day, Lord, that you would demonstrate yourself to be the real Jesus, to be that living hope that we were singing about, that Jordan was praying about. Lord, the one who makes them right with you and the one who will never leave them or forsake them, Lord. Lord, thank you for so many who have that childlike faith. And Lord, that's not, that doesn't mean simple. That means eyes fixed on you because they haven't learned to look to as many other things. And so, Lord, we pray that you would nourish that within them. Be with those who are downstairs and in the back right now. Be with those teachers who are pouring their heart and lives into them, letting the truth of your word be known. Strengthen them now. Speak through them, Lord, we ask. And then, Lord, make us humble and teachable to learn from them. Lord, make us willing to say, Lord, give us that type of faith. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see what you would show us this morning. Lord, teach us by your spirit through the truth of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for, for joining in that. My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine. 
And I think I'm looking around, and I know many of you, but if you're, if you're um, this is the first time or, or I've not met you yet, I just want to say welcome. Um, it is a joy that we are able to gather together and worship. And some of you are, are back um, for the first time in person. Um, it's good to have family together. And we're thankful you're here uh, today. As we've been going through this series, um, we're, in, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been um, asking a series of questions of what do you think? And the question um, to, of today, uh, the question is, is Jesus who you need him to be? Now, as we've gone through this series, what, I, what I've enjoyed doing is taking that quest, the question of the week and during the week leading up, going out into the community and, and asking people that question or whatever the question of the week is. And I made the joke earlier, um, I, I actually prefer doing that when Pastor John's preaching because it doesn't feel nearly as stressful to me um, to go around and ask people that. Um, but, but to go and ask people that, this week I didn't feel like it would be quite as normal to just sit down beside somebody and go, is Jesus who you need him to be? So I nuanced the question a little bit, and this is the question I ask people. Um, and so picture this, this is, it's in between baseball games and we're sitting around at the baseball field and I'm, I'm just kind of talking, some of the people I kind of knew a little bit, some I didn't, and I'm just talking to them. I say, hey, can I ask you a question? And here's what I asked them. Let's assume Jesus is real, okay? Can you, and I'm like, can you assume that with me for a minute? If you assume that, then who would Jesus need to be or, or what would he need to be like for you to consider knowing him to be worth your while or for you to consider knowing him to be valuable? Here are some of the answers I got. One guy laughed a little bit and he said, like a genie, grant my three wishes. Some more serious said, uh, someone who could fix the problems in my life. Or a friend who lets me be who I want to be, no questions asked. Or a friend who is always there. Or someone who will help end all the hate in the world. What about you, though? Is Jesus who you need him to be? You know, when you ask a question like that, um, with, a, with a lot of people, a big number of you, I'm sure, have grown up in or around the church. Right? And so I ask that question, and, you know, you don't really feel safe to answer, no, not really. Right? Nobody's really going to say that out loud. If I made all of you answer me out loud, I, I doubt any of you would have said that out loud. No, not really, he's not. Maybe. But there are times in our lives when we, feel, we may feel like he's not who he needs us to be or who we need him to be, excuse me. And there are definitely times in our lives where he doesn't do the things we want him to do. And so as we ask that question this morning, is Jesus who you need him to be? You can probably go ahead and surmise, conclude that the biblical answer to that question is yes, Okay, the biblical answer to that question is yes, but I also want to go ahead and acknowledge that we don't always feel that way. We don't always feel that that's true. We, we may even struggle to believe that at times. I think it's important for us as we sit here today, especially those of us who've grown up in church, because we haven't felt free to do this, I think it's important to acknowledge that it doesn't always feel like Jesus is who we need him to be. And now what I want to do for the rest of the time is to look at why that is. Why does it feel that way? And then what do we do about that? What do, how, what do we do there? And we're going to do that by looking at the story that we remember yearly on the Sunday before Easter. 
Sunday before Easter, anybody help me out? What do we normally look at, at that, on that Sunday? Palm Sunday. It's where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's my summary. All right, so let's look there together. Mark chapter 10, 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage at Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now back to our question. Is Jesus who you need him to be? Yes. But a big part of why we don't always feel that way about Jesus is he's not who we want him to be. You see, we want our own Jesus. That's what's going on with the people in the story as well. Right, the people in the story are super excited. Right, they're kind of worked up into a frenzy because they're starting to believe that Jesus is the one they need. They're starting to believe that he's going to do what they were hoping for. And let me remind you kind of what he's, what's been going on here because um, we put all four Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those four Gospels, we get uh, different emphasis, maybe different, different aspects of the story, some different details. But we put them all together to get the full picture of what's happening. And so just before this, here's what's happening. First is that Jesus had passed through Jericho and healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. He had healed him physically and spiritually. And then he brought into his kingdom the most hated of all in the culture. You remember who it was? He was a wee little man. Zacchaeus, right? Uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had climbed the tree to see Jesus because he couldn't see over the crowds. And then Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus came to know him. And then he had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And so, here's, so now... Many people, um, estimated close to 2 million people, are gathering in Jerusalem um, on this week before what, what come, comes to be known as Easter in, in, the, in church history. Um, they've, they've been gathering together, all right, and they're gathering together to celebrate the Passover. And just briefly, if you remember what the Passover was, it was it's the celebration of back in, um, in Egypt when the people of Israel were in Egypt. Um, they had, God had brought all the plagues upon the people of Egypt. Pharaoh kept saying, I'm not going to let the people go. And then eventually, um, God came to the, the last plague where he said he was going to kill the firstborn of all, of all the, the Egyptians. And he told the people of Israel to sacrifice a lamb. A lot more detailed than this, but essentially, sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, and put it over the doorpost. And the angel would pass over their homes because that signified that they belonged to God. All right. They're gathering together to celebrate that. 
And so there's close to 2 million people, and now they hear about this Jesus. They've been hearing little bits of, of things going on. Now they're hearing about this Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and it was two miles away in Bethany. He's, he's, it's where, where this had happened. And so people are walking back and forth, Jerusalem to Bethany, right? And they're, they're trying to get an eyewitness account. You know, today when, some, when news happens, you get all these things, alerts on your phone, breaking news, all this stuff goes on, if you turn those on, and sometimes you might not. But uh, you, you get all that, or you can find it on TV, um, the different news stories that are happening. Well, this was a news flash, and people were going to get the eyewitness accounts. They wanted to know. They wanted to see this man that had been raised from the dead. And so they were eager, and they were excited, and they wanted to see the man who had done it. The crowds grew, and Jesus was in the middle of it all. He had their attention. He had their focus. And they were beginning to think that he might want, that, that they might want this Jesus guy to be their deliverer, to be their king. Maybe he was the one that was coming. Maybe he was the one they needed. So as Jesus comes into town... On the donkey, they're ecstatic. There, there is a bit of a huge celebration party going on. And so, as he rides in on the donkey, we see in verse eight that many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. And we know from John twelve that those are um, those were palm branches. It doesn't say it explicitly in this passage, but in John twelve it tells us. And so they laid the cloaks and the the um, coats and the branches in the road, and that was a symbol of saying. We place ourselves under your authority. This is an affirmation. You are the one who is going to save us from our circumstances. You are the king. You are our sovereign. You are the one who is going to reign in our lives. They're praising him because they were expecting him to do what they wanted him to do. Their hope for the kingdom was really high. And there was a problem. They had their own view of what it was going to look like. They had their own view of what they wanted. And it was centered around earthly things, earthly circumstances. He, they wanted him to come and to attack the Romans and throw the Romans out. This was an occupying government in their, um, in their land. They wanted them out of there. And, and they wanted Jesus to give them back their place in this world and make them a mighty people. Now, I say that and we kind of think in biblical terms for a minute, but let me zoom up forward for a minute, okay? Um, what are all the good stories made of? It's a very American thing to think there's a tyrant, we rebel and get rid of the tyrant, right? Star Wars, we, the rebellion comes up to get rid of the evil empire, right? Batman goes into Gotham to drive out Joker. I could go on and on because so many stories, so many movies are around that. Right? And, and we, we love that and we celebrate that. And that's kind of what the people were, were looking for. And so in verse 9, it says they're, they're yelling out, Hosanna. They're pleading with him, save, me, save now. Save now. Deliver us now. But they're talking about an earthly, political, military deliverance. It's interesting because they're shouting from Psalm 118 here, verse 26, which is what Jordan read for the call to worship earlier. Um, and they're saying, he's the one. And they're saying it as loud as they can. Top of their lungs. Here's the thing. 
everything they say, every single thing they say is biblically true. The majority of us quoted straight from Scripture. Everything they say is said of the promised one, is said in the Old Testament of the promised one who's going to come. It was accurate. And they're so focused on what they want from Jesus, who they thought Jesus should be, that they fail to see what they need from Jesus. Do we ever praise Jesus at the top of our lungs for who we want him to be? Praising Jesus that he's going to deliver us from this rough circumstance for who we want him to be? Every scripture that these people had been taught from childhood told them that they needed a rescuer to come and to save them. But it didn't mean save them from circumstances on this earth. The whole sacrificial system, you know all that stuff in the Old Testament where they sacrifice animals and a lot of times we don't understand everything that that means? Um, I love, actually, I'm, I'm one of those people that likes diving into that and studying that. Um, but, but we don't always understand what it means. But again, the whole thing was pointing to the fact that we needed, we needed blood to be shed to atone for our sins. For the people of Israel, also for us. And now they're at the biggest celebration remembrance of that there is in Passover. When all this is going on. And yet, we see in the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion that they had missed it. Just a few days later, the people are crying out something. Do you remember what it is? You can actually call it out. Yeah, crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus was who he need, they needed him to be, but he wasn't who they wanted him to be. And so they turned on him eventually. Second part of our answer here to is Jesus who you need him to be is yes, but it doesn't always feel like it because we really need, what we actually need is Jesus to be someone different than we often think. We need the Jesus, the real Jesus. And I'm going to show, I want to show you that by looking back at verses 1 through 5. I skipped over those when I, when I started here for a reason. Um, back in verses 1 through 5, really verses 1 through 6, there's a whole lot of attention here given to what? To a donkey. Does that seem weird to anybody else? We're in this middle of this story about Jesus, and now we're going to spend six verses talking about a donkey. Right? And so he comes to this, this focus on a donkey, and there's a couple things going on here. Um, one is, I think, uh, you know, we see this story. Understand the picture here. These guys are, Jesus sends the disciples to go. This isn't somebody they knew. He, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us that. It, he, they walk up, they untie someone else's property, and they take it, and, and, and the guys are like, hey, hey, what are you doing? And, and the disciples go, oh, Jesus told us to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they walk off with a donkey. Only God can arrange that in his work and his plan. So that's one, one part. Another part is, is that in Zechariah 9.9, it says that, that the king, the one who would deliver them, would ride in on a donkey. Okay, so there's, there's another, another part there from Zechariah 9.9. And when we say, why would he do that? Why would Mark give so much attention to this donkey? I think the other reason 
is that the donkey tells us a great deal about the real Jesus. What would a king ride in on typically? Yeah, I, you know, if you use the old, like a majestic steed, you know, a, a, um, a powerful war horse. Because the powerful war horse symbolized that they were coming in and they were going to be able to, to take over, to take charge, to, to lead what needed to be led, right? Jesus was powerful. Jesus was majestic. But Jesus was different than any other king they could ask for. And he came in humbly on an animal that most literature throughout the world depicts as dumb and simple. But in humility, he came in on a donkey. Because he wasn't planning to become the earthly king, as we've already said. He wasn't planning to, um, to attack the Romans or overthrow the Gentile power. What Jesus came to do, the people were missing. And even the disciples were missing it. How many times now, we've been going through Mark. How many times did he tell them? Right? He told them over and over and over again in different ways. And most recently in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he told them this. Explicitly, Jesus talking to the disciples says, For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's just told them that. Okay? You remember what, do you know what ransom means? I think most of you probably do. Um, just to be, make sure we're on the same page. Ransom means to pay a price for something to buy it back. Right? And so what's this talking about in that passage? Well, it's talking about that, that because of sin, we have all been separated from God. Right? Every one of us separated from God. And so Jesus came to sacrifice himself, that his blood would be shed. That's what the cross is all about. So that he could buy God's people back for himself. Anyone who believes in the name of Jesus. He came not to be served as an earthly king, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to satisfy the justice of God that we deserved so that God could grant forgiveness to repentant sinners, to all those who come in the name of Jesus. You see, that was the people's greatest need. And so... Well, let me, let me say this too. That's our greatest need. That's our greatest need. What will it take for you to acknowledge that Jesus, this real Jesus, is who you need him to be? Now, some of us want to say, I do. Many of us probably want to say, I do acknowledge that. And, and the reality is we do, right? And then we get to everyday life where we're still battling with sin, where we're still dealing with those struggles within us. You see, what we want from Jesus often gets in our way, in the way of our humbly coming to Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. Okay, we want Jesus... 
The real Jesus is, well, well, I'll just say this. We want Jesus to come and to, to put a stamp on the things that we are doing, whether it's how we're parenting, um, you know, how we're being children, how we're doing schoolwork, how we're doing our jobs. We, we want Jesus to come and put a stamp on that, so to speak, his stamp of approval, so that, usually there's a so that for us, so that man will approve of us so that we can advance in our careers, so that we can make the money we want, so that our kids end up okay, all those things. And so, so we, we focus on the wrong thing. But the real Jesus gives us full approval through his work. The real Jesus says, no, you have my approval because I've bought you. And I've paid what is necessary for you to be mine. Quit trying to work to gain it. And work because you have it. Honor me. Share it with others. Live your life. Another example. We want Jesus to give us earthly comfort. But Jesus is who we need. The real Jesus gives us comfort that no matter the circumstances we face, he will not leave us or forsake us. We want Jesus to give us earthly security. How many of you have asked Jesus? I have. Lord, give me this. I I, I need this to be able to take care of my family. And, And it can be a plead. You know, and there's other passages of scripture, by the way, that say he takes delight in caring for his children. So he's going to do that, right? But he doesn't always give us the security we think we need. The things we want from him, he gives us what we need. The real Jesus, the one who we need, gives us security that he will hold our hand. Psalm 73 uses a picture of holding our right hand, walking with us day by day, And completing the work he started within us on that day that we meet him face to face. He's going to do that if we are followers of him. So if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, um, I want to say this to you. I'm sorry. And here's why I'm sorry. Because very often, as I and as we as followers of Jesus, as we keep creating this Jesus we, we want versus turning to the real Jesus, we're often pointing you away from him. I was just repenting this morning with some others. Um, and how, how do I do that with my own children? I know there's ways. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't, don't look to the Jesus we're creating. We need to keep dealing with that in our own hearts. But look to the real Jesus, the one who, in his word, The one who says, come to me. I've paid for all the sin that has separated you from God. And if you come in the name of Jesus, 
acknowledging your sin and that he is your only hope, he says, you will be my child and you'll be one of those that I'm holding and walking through life with. And then if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, will you acknowledge again this morning that the real Jesus is who you need? You need him more than the Jesus you're trying to make him to be. The real Jesus is who you need. And then surrender to him and ask him to give you the desire through the work of his Holy Spirit to want him and what he has for you, what he says is good for you in his word, to want that more than what you think you want him to be. Jesus is who we need, even though it doesn't always feel that way. And so as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, um, I want to ask you all to just take a moment. Um, I'll give you time to open the cups in a minute. But I want to ask you just to take a moment and ask him today to give you the desire to want the real Jesus more than the Jesus we try to make him to be. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.